So we should do an intro then. Saddest school disco in history. Hi, welcome to the Saddest School Disco in History. I'm Natasha and I'm going to be presenting with Vincent today. And the film we're going to talk about is A Dangerous Method. So hi, my name is Vincent. Um, I am a trainee psychologist living in Bergen. Uh, Natasha, can you say something about yourself before we get started? Uh, my, uh, obviously, my name is Sasha. Just said that um, I work in um, the UK as a psychotherapist in the NHS. Okay, so this week's film is a dangerous method, directed by David confu- Cronenberg. Yeah, not to be confused with a dangerous mind, which is what I keep thinking of in my head, which is unhelpful. It's a very different film. Yeah, Dangerous Mind is a film with Russell Crowe about. Um, a schizophrenic, isn't it? No, that's a beautiful mind. A dangerous, a dangerous mind, mind? Is, is the Michelle Pfeiffer film where she's a teacher. <laughs> no, that's called you know, Dangerous Minds. Is it? In the plural, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh dear, I'm ruining so this already. But those so aren't the films wrong. we're talking about anyway. We are talking about A Dangerous Method, which is directed by David Cronenberg, uh, made in 2011. Mm-hmm. Screenplay by Christopher Hampton... And based on a book called A Most Dangerous Method by John Kerr, which was published in 1993. Ooh. Um, and I'm just going to say who's in it, and then we can go on to the discussion. Yeah. The, uh, okay. the film stars Michael Fassbender as Carl Jung, mm-hmm. Kiera Knightley as Sabina Spell, Spellrain, or Spellrain mm-hmm. uh, Viggo Mortensen as Sigmund Freud, and has a supporting role by Vincent Cassel, or Vincent Cassel, as they say in France, who is playing Otto Gross, a quite obscure and little-known anarchist psychoanalyst. I have never heard of him before this film, so yes. Had you? I had heard of him, but I knew very little about him. I think he's mentioned okay. in, a, in a history of psychoanalysis that I read, but he's very obscure. Um, okay. And when you see the film, you can understand why. So just to reference something then, you just said that you have read a history of psychoanalysis. Yeah. And just before we started recording, I said that this was very much a film choice of yours rather than one of mine. Well, um, you said it you said it was a geek film. I did say it was a geek film, and I stand by that comment. I think it is a geek film, good one, but nonetheless it's quite an academic film, I think. It's sort of very historically accurate, uh, from my understanding, um, and quite academic in what, what goes on and what they discuss in the film. Um, and I, that's on you that we've watched this film. <laughs> a reminder to the audience that all of our podcasts contain a lot of spoilers. We discuss the plot in, in full. We don't, uh, we're not concerned about ruining the film. So if you haven't seen the film, please bear that in mind. Um, the film is about uh, Carl Jung, a, an early um, psychoanalyst, uh, later analytical psychologist who um, was a student of Freud. And his first patient, basically, who... Mm-hmm. Um, 
or not his first ever patient, but one of the no. first people he did the talking cure with. That's right. Uh, who is played by Keira Knightley, and she and this character Sabina Spellrain later went on to become a psychoanalyst herself. And the film also stages the conflict between Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychoanalysis, and Carl mm-hmm. Jung, who yes. at one time was his kind of favourite, kind of the crown prince of psychoanalysis, was supposed to yeah, take over, that but he was, they had a big... That's right. Mm, they had a big, big to-do. Yeah. And, uh, and it's interesting that this film is made by David Cronenberg because David Cronenberg uh, made his name as a horror director, um, and directed a lot of very weird uh, body horror films in the 80s. Like The Fly? Yeah, like The Fly being one of the best known, uh, although not necessarily one of the best. Personally, I love The Fly. but um, I love The Fly. I was about to yeah. argue with you then. Okay, yeah. good. But but a lot of uh, David Cronenberg fanboys don't like The Fly. They see it as the kind of point at which his, uh, his film started to get worse. Um, really? Well, yeah, that is and a crying lot- shame. I think The Fly is great, and I, I and do. I love uh, Videodrome. Videodrome is one of my favourite films. Um, yeah, I like The Brood. I have to say that I don't, in general, like David Cronenberg's later films. I'm not a fan of um, A History of Violence. I oh, I like that film. Okay. Really? Mm. Okay. Well, but for me, like, uh, from more or less Spider onwards, I haven't really liked his movies. Okay. Um, but... Uh, yeah, but I have um, so much to say about this particular film that I'm concerned we haven't really got time for everything that I want to talk about. So, um, okay, so I'm going to try all right to, then. Uh, Why don't and, you? I'm going to try and limit it a bit. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't you? You you obviously feel very passionately about this film. Why don't you start with your main sense of the film? Did you enjoy the film? I think you know when you said it's an academic film. Mm. I think that that is that is the kind of great weakness of this film is that it's um, it's so much a kind of love letter to mm-hmm. this time and these people and the development of these ideas mm. that all the characters almost stand in for their theories I, and their intellectual yes. developments. Yeah, right. me too. I felt exactly the same. I I felt like there was so much character we didn't see because we were so busy hearing about um, specific... We were so busy seeing specific examples of their theories played out that yeah. you didn't really get to know the people at all. And people stories are what I like most. And obviously that's what we know about them. I mean, there are bits of things that people say in this film that are taken verbatim from letters or Mm -hmm. or clinical reports or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it was a strange experience for me because watching it, I found it, uh, I didn't find it that engaging. Like um, I'd seen it once before and I couldn't really remember it and I thought it'd be interesting Mm -hmm. for us to do because it's about my idea was not that our great would get to talk about psychoanalysis but really just that it was about the earliest days of therapy and that that would be interesting Mm -hmm. um and but watching it I was sort of it was a fairly lukewarm experience I was like I I was impressed by um all of the performances and thought that they were as particularly Mortensen as Freud I thought was great yeah but I but I was like not really that invested in the story Okay. But then 
since when I've been thinking about uh, talking about it with you, I've just kind of more and more become aware of how packed it is with themes and ideas and that, yeah and that kind of and that it's that kind of film it's the kind of film that um stimulated me to reflecting about how they uh kind of worked all of these intellectual traditions and ideas and type of uh, kind of type of ways of being a person into mm -hmm. this movie and so I feel quite uh warmly towards it but I but I wasn't I didn't love watching it you know so I had a similar experience to you. I uh, felt like it, yeah, it was, it was sort of packed with ideas to the point where, uh, I've got to be honest, on occasion I start to zone out a little bit um, because I didn't feel like I was getting enough of a character drama to kind of keep me really at the peak of interest throughout the film. However, I did really, really enjoy it. Um, I thought they were all, they're all very good performers Um and the sets are lovely and um, the dialogue is interesting. Um, but I definitely felt like there, there's, so, there's so much theoretical information crammed in, like you said, that on occasion I may be zoned out a little bit, I'm going to be honest. It's weird because it's a film about emotional relationships. It's a film about the relationship between Jung and Freud, the relationship between Spellrain and yeah. Jung, uh, the relationship to an extent between Spellrain and Freud, the ex the relationship between Jung and his wife. Um, and Otto. And yeah, yeah, to an extent when, he's, when he turns up. Yeah, him also. So I think it's just interesting that a film about emotion and about relationships is kind of so cold and that must be a choice it's not a mistake yeah. it's not an accident no. but but Cronenberg's chosen to make it very a very kind of distanced mm -hmm. very like you say it's very beautiful it looks amazing and it's uh, but it's it's a very kind of intellectual film I mean I I would say that the and I, I was surprised to find this but I was you know, very impressed with um, Kira Knightley's performance. I don't generally find her an actress that I'm interested in, interested in watching in films, um, but I think her presentation in this film was really, really interesting and really engaging, and perhaps one of the most human um, experiences you see on the screen. Um, in the film so when she's um, but quite early on she starts this process doesn't she with um, Carl Jung of um, him, him trying talking therapy with her and you see her presentation of her distress um, which is um, for anyone who's seen it a very um, physical presentation of what's going on for her so that she has a lot of tics it, it affects the way she speaks um, and that I thought was a very impressive performance. She like juts her jaw out a lot, doesn't she? And she, she does. Um, she moves her arms in in quite sort of uncanny type of ways, and she it's it's she doesn't look like Kira Knightley really in this no, film she because of the way that she uses her face. Yes. Um, and I thought that uh, it was an interesting portrayal of hysteria. You know, 
which is kind of what the early psychoanalysts often were treating, especially among women, which was these physical manifestations of mm-hmm. uh, psychic distress. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just made me think a lot about how illness changes over time. Mm. That this that this kind of uh, of behavior and uh, these kind of symptoms that you see in in Kira Knightley's character Sabina Spellrain that we don't see it as often now but that it's documented that many people and particularly women were experiencing this yeah at that period in time but we now have a different kind of prism through which we see mental illness mm-hmm. and as a result we see different symptoms and I think that that's really interesting do you think different do you think we see different symptoms or do you think there are it manifests differently well i think it's both and yeah i think it's both and and it's difficult to know what the dynamic between those is but i think uh i think it's michelle Foucault who talks about this as well about how um the paradigm and the discourse within which illness exists kind of affects uh the categories of illness that we have Mm -hmm. um and yeah so i i just think that that's that that was uh because it at first it seems bizarre I think the way that she talks and the way mm. that she is it does but but then it just struck me that it's uh that there are all of these accounts of people having these kind of and not just women also men of having these kind of uh um sort of uncontrollable physical spasms and yeah so you like psychoanalytic therapy psychoanalysis you like psychoanalysis don't you i like uh i'm interested in psychoanalytical theories and i like okay. psychodyna- <laughs> and i like and i like psychodynamic therapy which grew out of psychoanalysis yeah okay so i'm interested to hear what you felt about the um relationship between jung and freud in the film could I? I would love to talk more about Sabina Spellrain. Um, oh, you say, oh, okay. But, do, but would you? But would you rather come back to her? <laughs> Maybe. Well, no. If you have something really particular to say, I'd like to hear it. Well, I want to. I just think that. Um, uh, I just think that it's really interesting watching the um, the therapy between mm. her and Jung. Okay. And him sitting, him sitting behind her in that classic psychoanalytical mm. way, and and how um, it kind of just uh, demonstrates this really sort of traditional idea about her kind of childhood trauma becoming mm-hmm. bound up with her sexuality, and how mm-hmm. you know she was beaten by her father, and that this has kind of now given her a sort of kink for humiliation. And how, yeah. and how Jung kind of very non-judgmentally and very sort of uh, kind of gently, in a sense, sort of uh, comes to comes to this understanding together with her in in the therapy, and that it has an effect that she becomes more or less cured, and she goes on to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a very low function functional level when she comes in. She goes on to become a doctor and later a psychoanalyst. And I just wondered, I just think it's an interesting kind of um, mm. story. And I wondered what you kind of, what you thought about all of that element of the movie. 
my I I mean obviously they've got to fit it all into a really short period of time so it's almost like in the film she comes and she's so very unwell and then mm. suddenly is doing really really well and is assisting him young in his work um and I I think I found it because I didn't really know anything about her um so it's it felt a bit jarring the way it kind of moved so quickly from her illness to her wellness um although they they do reference her kind of illness throughout um yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I think she she did a great performance. It was interesting to watch, and it was one of the most human performances in the piece. Not that the other actors weren't human, but you know what I mean. They felt very representative theory, whereas there were periods of time where she was in therapy. Kira Knightley was presenting um, as in theory, in therapy. I can't talk today. Um, was presenting as in therapy on screen, and those felt very human interactions. I um, thought it was interesting looking at, and I'm jumping forward a little bit here, but looking at how he, what what happens between them, the way he becomes, um, they become very intimate to each other as mm. friends, then colleagues, then lovers, um, yeah. and how unacceptable that would be today how completely unacceptable that is and how at the time he kind of justified it I think um there's a sense that it's part of kind of what's making her better did you feel that or am I do you feel like I'm getting that bit wrong I don't think you're getting it wrong exactly but I think that that's a fascinating kind of discussion within this film is about this issue of transference and countertransference. Yeah. And, and and for anybody who doesn't know what these terms are in in psychoanalysis they used to think that you transfer your kind of uh, early conflicts with your parents over onto your analyst. Mm-hmm. And that the analyst in turn uh, has a similar process with the patient. But initially Freud thought that the um that the analyst if he himself was had been analysed, could remain completely neutral and that the countertransference, which is your feelings about your patient, wouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. And what hap- and they're and they're so very early in the history of psychoanalysis and of therapy in general that they don't understand the kind of attachment you can have to your patient and they don't understand mm-hmm. the strength of the countertransference. And what happens to Jung is that he gets bound up in that and that he essentially, yeah, and that they end up in a relationship, that he mm. transgresses the the patient-doctor uh, relationship. And he's very aware of that, and that's kind of the function of Otto Gross, who is this kind of completely mm-hmm. amoral sort of anarchist psychoanalyst who's inspired by Max Stirner and kind of this sort of Nietzschean figure who has no uh, truck with, so, with society's morality whatsoever mm-hmm. who thinks that it's fine you can sleep with all your patients in fact you probably should it's the you only probably way to should get do rid- it yeah it's the only way to get rid of the <laughs> transference or and um and uh and it will help them you know and and young that come appears at a time in young's life who young growing up as a kind of strict protestant uh otto gross turns up and kind of suddenly challenges all of young's kind of um, moral assumptions mm-hmm. in a way that is quite convenient for Jung at the time, where he can, yeah, uh, get, you know, green cards him, doesn't it? But 
it's later in the film freud says to spellrain that this business with you what happened with you was was one of the things that made me kind of fall out of love with jung and mm-hmm. apparently freud did actually say that that this that the way that uh, jung had been so unprofessional with um, sabina spellrain was one of the mm-hmm. reasons why he fell out of favor that's interesting um, and and i so i think it's kind of on the one hand you can say that what jung does in allowing the countertransference to turn into a relationship with his patient is an outrage um but on the other hand you can say that that this was all i mean apparently this was one of the things that um made him aware that the uh the analyst cannot remain unchanged by the by the analyst and by the by the patient and Mm -hmm. Um, and that's partly what this film is about, isn't it? It's about, okay, yeah. she, you know, she kind of uh, is Effects helped by change. the process, but he, he is changed massively by his relationship to her. And that was the one other thing that I wanted to say about her in the, in the film, which I find really interesting. I don't know to what extent this is documented, but it's certainly very plausible. Mm-hmm. She says a lot of things to him in their conversations that later become Jungian theories. Yes. So I thought this was interesting too, because I was just about to, as you were talking, I was thinking about how her character is so interesting because she um, is representative of, you know, these more modern ideas we have of of people being unwell, but also having high functionality. Mm. So um, at the time, she was kind of thrust into a psychiatric unit to be fixed because no one could bear her and manage her um, and manage what was happening for her but actually what happens is she continues to have issues that she's trying to sort out for herself she continues to have um, these you know sexual urges that she's trying to manage and understand and not feel shame about Um, but she's also incredibly intelligent and high functioning and goes on to train herself as a psychoanalyst Um, and I just think it's really interesting. I think you know, it says something. Sorry, Go continue. No, 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 no. You. I think it says something too. Obviously, about the um, position of women uh, in yeah. society and in the history of psychoanalysis. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Spellrain was more or less forgotten. I think until this book, *A Most Dangerous Method*, was written. Um, even though she was more or less the founder of child psychology. Um, yeah, that's and, what she specialised uh, in, isn't it? Yeah, and she apparently was uh, Jean Piaget, who is one of the kind of, I'm sure you know, is one of the mm-hmm. kind of famous child psychologists, He mm. or developmental psychologists. She was his analyst. Oh, wow, I did not know that. Um, and uh, and there's just stuff like, there's a point where when um, Jung is uh, supervising her uh, thesis and he meets her and he says something, some kind of weird generalised thing about men and women and she says... Uh, don't you think that there's something male in all women and something female in all men? Yeah. Or, or there should be. And that's the, that later becomes Jung's anima, animus hypothesis mm-hmm. about exactly that, that every man yeah. has a kind of female shadow. So, so and, I, and I love that idea that, you know, here is this kind of uh, vital intellectual um, future psychoanalyst who is like batting up against Jung and Freud and probably, particularly in Jung's case, it kind of helped him form these ideas. But like with so many of these people, became invisible because she was a woman. Mm. 
Well, I think that feeds very well into a theme that I saw played out throughout the film, which was Jung's privilege. Yeah. Which was so apparent to me throughout the film and and um is supposed is supposed to be um something that we notice. So there's a very particular scene where he and Freud are taking a trip together on a ship mm. and they walk onto the ship and as they walk on Jung walks in a different direction and Freud looks at him a bit confused and he says oh well my wife booked for me and I'm in first class yeah and you catch this look on Freud's face this kind of um simpering rage about this privilege that Jung has um and and so unaware of it so unaware as as privilege work as that's the functionality of it isn't it 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 sits Mm. as you know a comfort blanket that that is invisible um and I thought that was a really interesting thing throughout the film. So his privilege for financially, his privilege through religion, because Freud yeah, talks race, about being, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And through gender too. It was really yeah. interesting to see how he continues to climb upward, ever upward, comfortably developing ideas and taking from those around him and developing further and using his, you know, education, his money, his race, his religion to kind of continue this this upward, you know, movement. I thought that was really interesting. And ultimately, you know, he, uh, this kind of comes after the narrative of the film, but ultimately he used his uh, being a white Protestant actively against psychoanalysis because when the um, Nazis uh, went against psychoanalysis for being a Jewish science for a Mm -hmm. few years before... uh, he kind of publicly regretted it. Jung very actively uh, compared his own practice with the Jewish science and talked about his version being an Aryan. Mm. Um, Did he? A kind of variant, yeah. In order to in oh, order to position in order to position himself kind of as the sort of principal uh, psychologist in the world and uh, against Freud, probably uh, as a result of the kind of bitter end of mm-hmm. their relationship. But it's very cynical, mm. and it's another example of of the um, same thing and and Freud all the way through the film is aware of that kind of um of his position as as a Jew mm. whereas to Jung kind of is sort of like you're saying he's sort of like uh he has the ignorance uh that only a privileged person can have he's like oh, I don't see the problem that you're all Jews in Vienna what's the issue yeah, yeah. you know um uh, and um and that as well allows him to be so much more uh, open with all his ideas with all of this stuff mm-hmm. about intuition and spirituality and he can mm-hmm. and myth and he can draw all these things in because he doesn't have the entire world against him in the way that yeah. Freud experienced that he did yeah and the way Sabina does in the end she she dies during the war doesn't she she went to uh she went to a concentration camp yeah 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 mm. I think there's um in line with that privilege I there's a there's a moment that is really reflective of uh, a theoretical understanding of what Freud and Jung did together. And there's this really enjoyable bit of the film where, which I think reflects um, the the privilege, the kind of indulgence of Jung, as well as being a, a moment where you really catch the kind of theoretical understanding of delving into the unconscious and spending you know long periods of time you know figuring out what's happening where the two of them are talking, uh, Freud and Jung are talking, I think Jung's describing a dream that he's had, and Freud 
uh, says that they've been talking for a number of hours about it. And I just think it's a really funny moment because it it kind of really speaks of the the work they were doing, you know, the, the fact that they were trying to develop something, but also just how indulgent that entire experience was. You know, the idea that they could talk for hours and hours on one subject, I just thought was really funny. And there's a, there's a scene as well just before that where they're at dinner and um, and Jung is taking basically all the food off of the plate. And, yes. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and, st- and just talking about libido and whatever. And Freud is like, you don't, you know, don't feel that you need to... Um, don't feel that, don't, I can't remember exactly how he says this. Like, don't feel that you need to restrain yourself in front of my family. And like the whole yeah. family is sitting around the table just listening to them <laughs> talking about sex. And... Yeah, you've got these young children looking at them with innocent eyes like, what's happening here? <laughs> But I, I, but I, I thought that that was really indicative of that kind of Jung has this massive optimism. And that's also reflected in, in kind of his idea about therapy, about mm-hmm. being this kind of a way to become whole. And yeah, Freud has has this kind of sardonic pessimism in the film that also is kind of reflective of his view, I think, of psychoanalysis. And I love mm-hmm. that scene where they're on the boat and they're going to New York. And when they're getting there, Jung says, this is the future, I'm telling you. And Freud says, do you think they know we're coming, bringing them the plague? And I, <laughs> I don't remember and, that. <laughs> and I, 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 I loved that. I thought that that was just yeah. so kind of such a beautiful illustration of the difference between these two men. Yeah. And, um, and also, you know, how, how Freud kind of sees himself as this, as this kind of uh, Jewish um, uh, kind of uh, outsider who's mm-hmm. uh, bringing this kind of uncomfortable truth to the world. Mm. and so for a period of time Jung is like his son isn't he so he's Mm. he's he's uh, sharing information he's become he's like the heir to psychoanalysis isn't he it's the idea is that he understands it so well they get on so well that they'll be the it will pass from father to son to continue Mm. the journey and then comes in a new character Otto Mm. who's just wild isn't he I don't know very much about him but I I feel like you perhaps know a little more so can you say a little about him well I I don't know that much about him as I said I think I've heard I I kind of I've I've, I remember him being mentioned and I only really remember it in relation to what we talked about already this thing of him thinking that it was Mm. that you should have sex with anybody who expresses a desire to have sex with you as a therapist um I what I know about him is that he was um influenced by a lot of very radical kind of uh, anarchist and what we today would probably think more as being libertarian kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. I know that I think he went to Berlin and he died kind of homeless right. and, and, and starving. And, yeah. Or tuberculosis or something. Mm. Um, but he, uh, he, I think uh, as we've said, his function in the film is kind of to illustrate how radical these ideas can become. And at what point do you need some some degree of repression? At what mm. point do you need to fall in line with society's um, demands? Yeah. So I, I I don't know really what to think about um, about that character, but I think apart from that, he kind of functions to sort of set this binary opposition up between morality and desire, mm. or morality and impulse. Or and social construct, and I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think I said it earlier, it's almost like they bring him in 
because he has this pivotal role, you know, he talks to... So Jung's actually supposed to be treating him, isn't he? He's supposed to be working with him. Freud sends Otto to Jung to be treated. But actually Mm. what happens is the conversations you see play out. It's like Otto is advising Jung on what to do next. Mm. Um, And I, I said earlier, it's almost like he gives him a green card. He says, you know, you should sleep with her. You feel something for her. She feels something for you. Just just do that then why not do that Mm. um and it and it it's a moment where the film starts to turn isn't it because actually you know that relationship with freud and jung is already starting to break down a little but now it's now it's you know very definitely going in a different direction um he's a really interesting character and really well played um what's that actor's name vincent cassel Oh, he's brilliant, isn't he? He really embodies any character that he ever plays. Um, and he feels very full as a character, you know, but it, but it, it's a shame perhaps that he's not in it more, I think, because um, it really does feel like he does a cameo and then disappears. I do not like Vincent Castell very much. Um, do you not? No, because I feel that he is a massive ham, personally. Yeah, I um, think the same of Kira Knightley, but look how well they've both done in that <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Vincent Cassel was okay in the film, but I don't think he was as good as the others, I have to say. Okay. I think he was okay. better He was better in Eastern Promises, which I is a film I don't like as much. But anyway, it's that's beside the bye, really. Okay. Um, but it's, it's interesting that you find him so powerful and i think and i think that's obviously definitely what they were going for that he's this kind of powerful disruptive disruptive. yeah Yeah. and i think it's that it's the disruption everything is kind of plodding along and okay and he he comes in and he references the very things that things that jung is uncomfortable with and and by doing that he gives him permission i mean he actively gives him permission too and then things change in Freudian terms, he's like the he's like speaks for the id, mm. whereas Jung has this is kind of uh, the super ego, mm-hmm. who has all of the kind of societal constraints, mm. mm-hmm. and uh, and Otto just speaks for pure hedonism. Um, well, it's and in Jungian terms, in Jungian terms, he's like the shadow. He's like the dark side of Jung's character. He's kind of. But I mean, you talk about social, you know, social. Um, restrictions but actually you know that uh, we're jumping I'm jumping around a little but looking at um, his relationship with Sabina again um, there there's a moment where he decides he's breaking up with her and she's heartbroken you know he's the only person who's ever understood her and she's absolutely devastated and he says well we can continue to see each other professionally but then you have to pay me yeah and I, I was so outraged in that moment to see him just, it's just... For me, it was just another function of this privilege of just being able to pick up and drop whenever you want to and to set all the conditions, to constantly be in charge of all the conditions of how life functions. Um, it's so brutal. And and the most brutal thing, in my opinion, is that is when... Uh, he first communicates with Freud about her and he lies and says that she's yes. a kind of um, sort of hysteric who's That's lying right. about him and who's uh, tried to seduce him unsuccessfully and, mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of uses her gender against her very actively 
of kind of painting her as this sort of like harpy basically yeah um and then obviously and then she comes and 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 entreats him to 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 reverse what he's done and to his credit he does but but that's a very that is an extremely brutal thing to do yeah i mean at any point he flexes his privilege doesn't he i mean he does the same within his family his wife asks him not to continue this affair um you know she politely puts up with it for a period of time doesn't she and Mm. i think in the film she references kind of not wanting to know Mm. too much but then there is a point when she has uh i think they have two daughters then a son is it um and then when she has the son she says you know will this stop now or she says back to us now that's right that's right and so you see this this poor woman who is financially supporting everything that he's doing who's making their family run who's you know the heart of her own family and watching her partner consistently choose to be elsewhere with someone else um and he picks up and drops her as he feels you know he talks about her very affectionately but he he is there's a scene where he is doing um oh i can't remember the name of it now a word association yeah word association Mm. um but he uses sabina as his assistant and his wife as his subject sabina's not yet his not yet his lover at that point though no no but you already sense a chemistry between them Mm. um i did in the film anyway and um and to me it just seemed so such a painful thing to put his wife through you know, there's one other thing uh, while we're on this topic, uh, th- another moment in the film that's very illustrative of this, which is when um, the Jung and Freud first meet and Freud's kind of trying to empathise with Jung about his situation with his wife and, you know, what mm-hmm. decisions he's going to make in his career. And and Freud says, you know, and, and of course the financial concerns, because, you know, you've got a child on the way, you'll probably have more, you need to think about uh, mm-hmm. that your work needs to be lucrative or needs to make you money. And uh, and Jung is just like, well, no, that's all fine. My wife's very rich. I don't need to worry about that. Yeah. And uh, and 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 you see this kind of look on Freud's face. Yeah. And if you know Freud's history, in the early part of his career, he was um, very constrained by the fact that he wanted to be able to provide for his family, mm-hmm. um, and he uh, he made a lot of decisions based upon that. So mm-hmm. so and and you know this is something that Jung never had to be concerned about so he's he's almost a playboy he kind of is just you know and he is a playboy he's got his yacht he's got his big house you know freud comes to visit him in his big house freud had this kind of modest uh, apartment in vienna so Mm -hmm. so i i I think that that's a very like you i'm glad that the the film makes that so explicit without really Mm -hmm. rubbing it in your face yeah Um, yeah, yeah, it's an undertone throughout, but you if you catch it, then you see it everywhere, and I think that's valuable. Um, yeah, I tell you what, I tell you what, I'm interested in talking about. If 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 you're ready to, for another theme, is um, what do you think about sex in this film? Oh, we're just going to throw that right out there, huh? Why not? <laughs> um, what did I think about the sex, the sex in the film, or the idea of sex in the film? two different things (laughs) is that that's two different things i think so (laughs) so um all the sex is between jung and sabina isn't it and it's really um 
I thought that really they were only looking at her version of sex in the film. So there wasn't, I didn't, you know, thinking about it now, I don't think there are any other representations of it um, other than, you know, Otto spends time at a, at a point telling Jung that, you know, the way relationships work, the way people understand sex is um, socially constructed. And then the, I suppose, I don't know, do you, you, I suppose you're talking about um, the theoretical stuff, are you? No, not really. I mean, I'm talking no? about the fact that, that this film has scenes of bondage and S&M in it, which, yeah. um, I mean, which is, I think, interesting. The, the, there's there's maybe three sex scenes between mm-hmm. um, Sabina Spelrain and Carl Jung, uh, and only one of them is kind of penetrative sex um and 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 that's interesting in itself because nobody knows for sure that they ever had sex um oh don't they no that's still okay it's known for a fact that they had an intimate physical relationship but Mm -hmm. there's debates as to whether or not they actually had like full consummate sex or not and there are reasons it's weird uh, that people want to debate that want to know that (laughs) Yeah. yeah Um, Why do they yeah. care? I suppose, I suppose, partly to kind of maybe that makes a difference to some some people's idea about to what extent the uh, the he went over the boundaries. Whether mm. maybe maybe kind of um, sexual play. It's a bit like uh, Bill Clinton. You know, I did not, ha- I did not have <laughs> did not have sexual relations with that woman, and later he said <laughs> using a cigar. He didn't think of that as being sexual relations. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why but i think it's, i i don't know i think it's interesting because everybody knows that 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 something went on between them yeah but cronenberg has made very specific choices about what he shows having gone on about having gone on between them mm. uh one thing is that they have a full sexual relationship i think that mm-hmm. that in the film in the kind of fictional narrative of the, of the film that strengthens the film because you get this sense of them really coming together at that point yeah um but then you know, uh, there's a scene where he's whipping her with um, with a belt, and she's watching watching it in uh, in the mirror. Oh yeah, for that's right. Mm-hmm. And and I just wondered what you thought about about these scenes. Like for me, you know, that kind of thing presented on the screen that could be quite erotic, uh, but in this film, it's not. It's very kind of flat, um, which plays back to what we were talking about it about it being a kind of in intellectual film and i feel like there's some there's some choice being made there about their sexual play together seems to be kind of uh, quite dis quite there's some distance in it and it's like, like it's, it's related to her like it's related to her understanding of herself rather than it just being for gratification Exactly, mean? like like yeah. it's a continuation of her analysis. Like yeah. she was, she oh, was okay. talking about how she was talking in, in there, talking to her about how she likes to be um, beaten and how him hitting her coat with a stick was kind of arousing for her. And mm-hmm. then later, years later, when he's her supervisor and whatever, you know, then they're kind of playing this out. Um, and I think that that's no uh, coincidence that that choice was made, you know, in within the film. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's still... 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't know how necessary it was to see it, um, in my opinion. I just feel like there's... Yeah, maybe I'm getting really old. I'm just starting to feel like there doesn't have to be sex in everything. Like, we don't need to see it all the time. <laughs> Honestly, really feeling that yeah. these days. Yeah. 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 Like... Yeah. <laughs> you're so not convinced. No, really. Because... Um, so that scene where he's dusting down her coat by hitting it and yeah. she says, can you stop that? And then later yeah. she explains to him why. Mm. I thought that was very powerful and interesting. Enough. And that was mm. enough, actually, because she you you could tell from her expression that she was becoming really overwhelmed by his mm. actions. And then I didn't really need to see her on the couch being spanked by him. I didn't feel I... like I needed to see it. So you agree with Jung that, you know, that it doesn't have to just be sex. It's, there must be other things involved. That's, no. what he's saying to, that's what he's saying to Freud, isn't it? That, that yeah, you know, surely there's more I'm... to life than sexuality. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in artistic um, expression, it doesn't have to be so overt all the time. It just feels like anything you watch now oh my god I sound like such an old lady but genuinely I have really started thinking about this I mean going off on a tangent I think about this because um you and I have talked about the fact that I quite like um like Bollywood films old Bollywood films which are filled with uh, sexual excitement and Mm. um romance and you know uh desire but because of the kinds of social rules, even even lawful rules that were in place at the time, um, you never see the sex. You sometimes don't even see the kiss. But actually, you don't leave feeling like you missed anything. And I feel a little bit now that um, film, particularly with film, it's moved so drastically the other way that it's like you didn't get, if, if you pardon the pun, you didn't get like bang for your buck unless you see all out sex. And I feel like everything feels like it needs to tick that box now, and I find that a bit boring. I'm, I'm, I, I, um, I sympathise completely with what you're saying from a slightly different perspective, which is that I don't think that in the, it exists in this film because it has to be in everything. I think it, for me, my thought about it, and you might well be right, but my thought about it was Cronenberg made his entire career as a transgressive filmmaker Mm. And now he's making a relatively dry historical drama Mm. and he can't allow that to happen without putting in something that might be nominally shocking. And so he needs to have at least a bit of bondage in there. But don't you think that... Okay, so I can understand that point of view. And I also agree that it looks as if the sex is... Uh, a continuation of the therapy in some fashion that's my generous reading of it in any case yeah yeah i was gonna say yeah but yeah i can see that um however i think because it's so well acted that there's a scene where um they they're in therapy jung and um sabina spielman spiel i can't remember her surname spell rain spell rain um and well maybe it's spiel rain it could be spiel rain spiel rain and okay and um she's describing what her father used to do how he used to punish her and how 
and they and they kind of unfold it until it gets to a point where she says but it used he says how did it make you feel and she said it it used to excite me it it excited me and actually i i felt almost tearful at that point because it felt very i imagined that i suppose because i work in therapy as do, as do you i i kind of got a real sense of what it's like when you're in that room with just two people and that story's unfolding and someone has to tell you something that they've carried with such shame for such a long time when that happens it feels really powerful and I felt that in the film too and so then when they continued kind of uh, you know figuring out what she likes and she doesn't like and how that relates to her early experiences that felt so powerful in itself and and I also think it was talking about something in you know relating it back to this idea that he needed to do something that Cronenberg needs to do something that's you know pushing the boundaries I think that pushed the boundaries I mean this isn't stuff that people talk about in you know over dinner um and unless you're working in these fields you may never have really come across these concepts they're difficult to they're not palatable to everybody they're hard to process I felt like that pushed the boundaries in itself I didn't need to see the couch scene (laughs) you're right that scene probably is more disturbing um or it is certainly is and especially because she's talking about the effects of childhood trauma at the same time as it being bound up with with her sexuality i think Mm. i i wonder if and i might be miles out here but i wonder if the way this film treats what we would today call bdsm uh is a bit anachronistic you know like i'm sure people have always i know people have always been doing that and that there's you know black and white photographs from the mm. from the uh, 19th century and so on but but I feel like the idea that they later in their relationship kind of explore these things in 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 a kind of safe space as play yeah um is is a ah that that feels to me like a like uh, 2000s kind of post uh internet kind of Mm. I did you know what I mean like I, yeah. I, I I'm, I'm a bit skeptical I don't know if, the, if their <laughs> relationship I don't know if their relationship would have been like that but I but I think yeah I think it has its function in the in the in the film um and 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 partly it's it's what I was talking about I think about this this kind of progression of how how their how their therapy has turned into something else but yeah. But also, I do think it has a little bit about it has a little bit to do with how Cronenberg wants to position his film. I think yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I can I can it's see not, all that. But uh, yeah, but uh, I think you're right. Also, that it can be. I I think that I think that it's difficult to argue that in a film about psycho and psychoanalysis and early psych- yeah. especially early psycho early psychoanalysis that, that there should be more more implied sex and not as much yeah yeah i know i, I <laughs> caught that as I, <laughs> I caught that as i was saying it. i was like can is this an appropriate thing to say about a film that is fundamentally about like sexual tendencies and uh, urges probably not but you know as a as a wider point i think it's valid <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah, honestly, that's I'm. We're getting through all of the points that I wanted to discuss, so so I I'm I'm feeling pretty good about. Yeah, me too. To. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's um, 
and I read a few reviews online. I was curious to see what other people thought of it. And, you know, what I discovered is that a lot of people agree with some of the points that we've made in that it, it's, it's quite a, it's, it's like a historical capturing of a time and um, the development of, you know, specific theories. But it's enjoyable. It is enjoyable. I enjoyed watching it. Um, it might not be for everyone, um, but I liked it. And it definitely gave me a little more insight into, you know, the start of what that relationship looked like between Freud and Jung, because it's not something I've looked into, really. I know it's been something you're more interested in, but for me, this is probably the first time I'd looked at the, the people involved and, you know, try to get a sense of what was happening there. So that was good. That was cool. And I I do think that it's a that it's a it's a fair and uh, decent representation of of um, I don't know enough about about Spillrain to be able to say about her, but of Freud and Jung, it's I think it's a it's mm. a it's a good representation of the two of them, and 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 he took um, incidents that are documented and used them very intelligently to show the way that they begin to grow apart. I think mm. the the, mm. the thing where um, Jung thinks that he can predict uh, uh, Freud's bookshelf making a noise. Yeah. Um, yeah, I read about that recently. That's something Did that really you? happened. Yeah, yeah. He had a Jung had a um, just coincidentally. I'm reading a book about Jung and Reich at the moment, and uh, it says in there that that Jung had a feeling in his stomach and was convinced that he could predict this uh, this sound in in Freud's bookshelf. Um, <laughs> and you and and Freud I being this kind of very sort of materialist, very anti spirit. He said that he never had any kind of spiritual experience in his life. Um, that that this to him is just so alien you know yeah yeah and he's like my dear young friend you know he's like, yeah what i are mean there are, there are um there are some really fun those the moments in the film that are funny are really funny i think the comedy comes across really well considering it's a very straight you know academic-y sort of film uh when they do choose to you know trip over into comedy they do it really well and it's just it's just a oh yeah it's it's an all-rounder it's it's pretty good um it's probably not a like popcorn watch (laughs) it's not the sort of film you just like chill out and watch on a friday night maybe it's for you am i am i wrong here or or have i feel that in the course of our discussion that you've come to like this film better than you did when you yes you are right is that that you are right i think that is true and I think that that's the same thing that happened to me was that in the course of thinking about it in preparation for this conversation, that happened to me too. And it's happened even yeah. more in talking to you about it. That yeah. and what, I, what I really see compared to the other films that we've discussed, I mean, I love The Perks of Being a Wallflower, but compared to, to both the other films we've discussed so far, this film is so much mm-hmm. richer in content, I think. Yes, that's true. Um, I would agree. And, because and it's it doesn't not necessarily just, make the for the films. best cinematic experience. No, and that's the thing, isn't it? Because I suppose the other films uh, that we've looked at, we're looking at uh, presentations of mental health. And in this, we were doing that, but also looking at people who are presenting, representing, you know, theory of mental health. Um, and that's a, that's really a different thing. And it's worth remembering that really this, this is, all of this stuff is the kind of origins of what you and I do now. Um, I know, Jay, I caught that part way through the film and I thought to myself, my goodness, you know, at some point these concepts had never been spoken, had never been written 
And here are these people really genuinely pioneering something new. You know, they're really going into unsailed waters. And that it's incredible, really, isn't it? Hmm. It is. And I, I would I, I found a quote, actually, that I think is a nice way to finish this. If, okay. if, uh, if you don't have, which was from Freud. Um, and it made me think, I was reading it this morning and it made me think about the name of the film. Um, okay. Because the film is called A Dangerous Method, right? And in mm-hmm. the film, obviously, this has consequences for people. Um, and it's dangerous in as much as Jung can't manage his counter-transference and he gets into this complicated relationship. And mm-hmm. um, But uh, I was reading this this morning. It was in the 1930s, Freud said to a student, my discoveries are not primarily a heal-all. My discoveries are a basis for a very grave philosophy. There are very few who understand this. There are very few who are capable of understanding this. And I thought that was really interesting, mm. that that was Freud's position, was that not yeah. that this can heal the world, but that yeah. that this can help us understand. Yeah. And I think that that can be applied also to people's own process in therapy too. Um and it's it's kind of a tragic position to have, which is you know that it's a grave philosophy. We we maybe we can be here and we can understand what it means to be to be humans and to have had the experiences that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know at the end of that film, Jung is on the brink of a breakdown that he went through um, during the First World War, and I th- I think that it's just kind of you know they're like you're saying they're they're these pioneers they're. They're yeah. trying to find find a way to understand people better, to help people, to come yeah. more in contact with people. But, but um, but there are costs for all of them, and um, and it's no, there's no panacea, you know, there's no magic cure. No. Yeah, I just I think it's you know it's it's easy to forget that there was a time where this didn't exist, you know, this world of understanding mental health of thinking that to understand what's happening for a person better might make a difference, to understand that there might be other things you can do that can also help make a difference, that there are things that they could understand that make a difference. I mean, there was a time mm. where you would just say, someone's someone's mad and you just, you're just going to have to lock them away till they die now. Yep. Um, and so it's really that, yeah, when I got struck, you know, when I caught that moment, um, and I can't remember why I caught it in the film, but I just had this moment where I just thought, wow, what, what they did was really very impressive and incredible and a real feat you know in creative thinking as well as theoretical academic work for, for me it was that moment in the film when Jung is talking to his wife and he says you know I've, I think I've found a patient that I can try this experimental new cure with where I'll go into a room and I'll sit down and I'll talk to her and um, but why hasn't Freud explained how to do it there aren't yeah. there aren't there, there aren't any technical articles yet and so yeah. he knows that this is done but he doesn't have any instructions and he goes in and just tries to do it and and yeah i think and um yeah i think like you i just think it's incredible yeah it is yeah yeah for sure i definitely like this film more now that we've talked about it and i think um i really like that quote i really like that quote in terms of you know thinking about what he was discovering and what he thought it meant you know opposed to what we have all decided it means for him I suppose there's a human element there then isn't there 
thanks for listening to this episode of the saddest school disco in history if you'd like to follow us on twitter we're at saddest disco where we'll announce which film we'll be watching next uh, you can contact us at gmail that's the saddest disco um, it'd be great if you like our podcast if you leave us a review on the itunes store thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next time Bye.